Okay, Second Peter chapter 1. I want to uh, particularly focus on the first 11 verses. Um, so starting in verse 1. Second Peter chapter 1 verse 1. Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to them that have obtained like precious faith with, with us through the righteousness of God and our Saviour Jesus Christ. So this is obviously to the saved. This, this epistle is to the saved. And in verse 2 he says, Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, according as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue. So basically we've been given everything we need for life and godliness. In fact, he's called us to glory and virtue. Verse 4, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Right, partakers of the divine nature sounds pretty good, doesn't it? Verse 5, and beside this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue and to virtue knowledge. Right, so diligence is steady application in business of any kind, constant effort to accomplish what is undertaken, exertion of body or mind without unnecessary delay or sloth, due attention, industry, assiduity, and, and care, heed, and heedfulness. So basically, the, the following list that we're about to see now is something that we need to put constant maximum effort into, but with all care as well. So it starts with faith. We didn't put any effort into faith, did we? It starts with faith, but the diligence is to then add to the faith, right? Okay, the diligence. So this isn't automatic. Everything on this list doesn't suddenly come naturally because you're saved. There's some of that false doctrine out there. You're just automatically going to become a good Christian. No, it takes all diligence. We need to give all diligence, it says, okay? Right, add to your faith virtue. Right, what's virtue? Well, virtue basically is moral goodness. So we need to add to our faith the moral goodness. Now, this is something that obviously we have to give some diligence to add to. And, and basically, it's getting our morals and values in line with God's. So it starts after faith. Faith is the beginning. Then it starts with getting our morals and values in line, doesn't it? And, and you can see when you see the progression here, because how could we add knowledge... If our morals are off, if our morals and values are off, you're more likely to get offended by the Bible, aren't you? You'd be more likely to get offended than to build knowledge. Wouldn't you? If you read the Bible, you read the Bible, as, you know, and we could say as unsaved or as basically a baby Christian, and a lot of that stuff's going to offend you, isn't it? You're going to find it hard to add knowledge. Can you, can you imagine studying Genesis 19 or Romans 1 if your virtue was of the world, if your morals were of the world? Studying about what happened to Sodom and Gomorrah studying about reprobates, and, and, and you're still thinking how the world thinks. Oh, the, you know, oh, you know, it's love, love, and we're all, you know, people are just born that way and everything else. No, you need to get your morals and uh, values right first. How about even, even proverbs on child-rearing? How hard is that for a new Christian sometimes to deal with? That, especially in this society, that children need the rod of correction, yeah? And spare not for their crying. That's tough to deal with, isn't it? You've got to get that in line first. What about God's wrath in Revelation? That's not the God of the world, is it? That's not the God of the Bible we're told. Oh, sorry. That's not how we're told the God of the Bible is. And going through Revelation, it seems, I mean, there is some wrath spilling out of God there, isn't there, on everyone? And, and now it's hard to get your head around at the beginning. Even 1 Corinthians 5 on church discipline. 
Yeah, you, you imagine you just got saved, you jumped straight into 1 Corinthians 5. You're not going to build much knowledge there. You're going to find out, oh, I think that's going to be a stumbling block for you. That what, what, drinking? Doesn't everyone in the world drink? Or fornication? What's wrong with that? You know, what, get kicked out of a church? What sort of a weird place is that? You know, well, no, that's what, that's what the Bible says. Ephesians 5 on marital roles. Without getting, your, without getting your morals in line with God, without getting your values in, in line, a wife submit to her husband? What sort of people are you? You know, what sort of Stone Age, backwards, prehistoric men are these? You know, what sort of stupid, submissive wife? And, and that's the sort of thing that will go through people's heads. And that's a stumbling block for many, isn't it? So first, we need to add that virtue. But after virtue, you can then add knowledge, can't you? After virtue, you can add knowledge. Once you're thinking how God thinks... You can really start to grasp the truths in life, can't you? And then it starts to open up to you. Psalm 119, you don't have to turn there, 66 says, Teach me good judgment and knowledge, for I have believed thy commandments. So basically, when you're studying, accepting the truths in the words of, word of God, Proverbs 2, 6 says, For the Lord giveth wisdom, out of his mouth cometh knowledge and understanding. So the knowledge comes from the word of God, doesn't it? That's where it comes from, the word of God. But you need to get, get in line with God's way of thinking first to be able to then add knowledge. Okay, verse 6 then says, and to knowledge temperance. What is temperance? Well, basically moderation, particularly habitual moderation regard to the indulgence of the natural appetites and passions, restrained or moderate indulgence, as temperance in eating and drinking, temperance in the indulgence of joy or mirth. Temperance in eating and drinking is opposed to gluttony and drunkenness and in, and in other indulgences to excess. Now, basically, temperance is moderation, or another common word for it is self-control. Okay, self-control. Now, obviously, we need the knowledge to know what to be self-controlled about, don't we? So, we've had to get the virtue to get the knowledge. We've got the knowledge to get the temperance. Because without the knowledge, what is it that we need to be self-controlled about? Now, we need the self-control, though, because it says in verse 6, and to temperance, patience. So we need the self-control before we can work on the patience. So how can I work on patience if I don't have self-control? And, and it's this that I want to focus on today. The title of my sermon is Improving Your Self-Control. Improving Your Self-Control. I was thinking about this after last week. So last week, if you turn quickly to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. And we went through 1 Corinthians chapter 9. And at the end of 1 Corinthians 9, in verse 25... The Bible reads, 1 Corinthians 9.25, And every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. I therefore so run, not as uncertainly, so fight I, not as one that beateth the air, but I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. Okay, now we're striving for the mastery of incorruptible rewards, aren't we? Therefore, we need to be temperate or self-controlled in all things, right? Okay, because they're doing it for a corruptible crown, and it's saying people that are striving for the mastery there, they're temperate in all things, in all things. And I think, sadly, this is a stumbling block for many, many, many Christians. This is, a, this is basically a blocker. This is as far as people get on this list often. Because self-control is needed for regular Bible reading, isn't it? For a good prayer life. Regular soul winning, regular church attendance, 
avoiding junk food, junk drink, stuff like that in your life, resisting other addictions, smoking, caffeine, maybe Netflix series, keeping your, your speech clean, controlling your anger, maybe it's doing regular exercise, being healthy, giving to others, being on time, resisting sin, and all the many different, it all takes self-control, doesn't it? All takes self-control, self-discipline, whatever you want to call it, temperance, it all requires that. Now, have a look, back to, um, back to 2 Peter 1 there. Verse 6 then says, and to temperance, patience, and to patience, godliness. So how do we start learning and working on the patience in temptation and tribulation if we don't have the self-control to resist it in the first place? How can we do that? But it's after that, then comes the godliness, after the patience. The patience needed to persevere in those times of temptation tribulation. Now, godliness is... A religious life, a careful observance of the laws of God and performance of religious duties, proceeding from love and reverence for the divine character and commands Christian obedience. Clearly, you need patience, don't you, to be able to, to be what the, what, what, what's described as a godly person. And we need the godliness, because it then says in verse 7, and to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, charity. So we need the godliness for real brotherly kindness. Okay, now, many Christians think they have the brotherly kindness down because they like some other Christians, because they're buddies, mates, you know, they get on with, with some other Christians. This, is a talk, this, this here is talking about a kindness towards all your brothers and sisters in Christ. Not, an, oh, not necessarily, oh, just to be seen, to be kind. No, it's a kindness that's in your heart, a wanting to give to everyone. I don't mean just for our own ga gain or to appear to be holy. And it's not being best friends with everyone. No one can be best friends with, with everyone unless they're, they're, they're fake because the truth is we're not all going to have 100% in common with everyone so, but it's talking about having a kindness having something inside you where you want to be kind to your brothers and sisters um, but it comes before the charity because how do you expect to be filled with love, charity to the non-believers to everyone else in the world if you can't be kind to fellow believers first, right? Okay, but and, and with that, Colossians 3.14 says, and above all things, put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness. So the real charity, true charity, not the world's charity, not the world's just giving money to, to bums on the street who are drug addicts and alcoholics to go and, to go and buy more. Not the charity of, you know, just telling everyone what they want to hear, you know, just saying things and telling everyone how loving you are, but the, the real charity of wanting to give to others, wanting to give to everyone. It is the icing on the cake, isn't it? That's, that, that's where we're, we're, we're looking to, to aspire to get to. Okay, but notice in that passage there, there's a clear progression there, isn't there? Faith to virtue. He's talking about adding them. Virtue to knowledge, to temperance. And like I said, which is unfortunately, I think, as far as many Christians get to. Now, there are some great examples in the Bible of people that show that self-control. Um, we're not going to turn there, but in Genesis 39, you've got Joseph and Potiphar's wife. Um, 2 Samuel 16, you've got where David's getting cursed by Shimei and, and somehow he just manages to not just go over and chop his head off. Um, you've, got, you've got Daniel 1 with Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego uh, and, and the pulse diet that they managed to go on with all these fine meats and things being offered to them. What about the patience of Job? Just un unbelievable, isn't it? Um, but one of my favourites, turn to Matthew 26. Matthew chapter 26 and verse 51. 
And behold, one of them which were with Jesus stretched out his hand and drew his sword and struck a servant of the high priest and smote off his his ear. Then said Jesus unto him, Put up again thy sword into his place, for all they that take the sword shall perish with the sword. Thinkest thou that I cannot now pray to my father, and he shall presently give me more than twelve legions of angels? But how then shall the scriptures be fulfilled, that thus it must be? So Jesus Christ had some self-control there, because if I had at my, uh, at my fingertips twelve legions of angels tell you what there'd be some stuff going on <laughs> especially when I'm getting arrested by those scumbags those angels would just be getting called up every five minutes you know in the middle of this sermon when I'm seeing people drifting off and stuff angels getting there but but he had some self-control didn't he and obviously he's a great example of Jesus Christ is in many many places but um for me I like that because I think you know that you know you might think oh well that's silly well no imagine having at your at your command 12 legions of angels I think that would be hard to be controlled with that. But you might be sitting there thinking, look, I've, I've, I've got no self-control. I find it hard to be disciplined. What, what can I do? It doesn't just come naturally, like we said. How do you, what's the diligence? How do you work towards that? Because we're told to give all ju- diligence, aren't we? Now, I think there are some practical things that I believe can help with this. And I was thinking about, also, in, in, like he talked about, that those striving for the mastery for corruptible crowns. He's talking about people in the world for things like that. And they're things that we can apply because he's saying to do that, that we should be basically, the way he's implying there is that we should be doing the same for our incorruptible crowns. So how do we improve our self-control? Well, okay, I've got a list here and, and there's seven points on this list and you might disagree with some or you might already have some of these down. But if you can maybe take one of these things today, I think it would be great. Um, I think it might help you. And I think everyone really could work on their self-control to some degree but like I said for many I think that you kind of you could easily just stop at that point can't you You can stop at the self-control bit and then you never really reach that next bit because it's easy to just go well I'm a sinful Christian well we're all just sinners that's it yeah we are all sinners 100% we're all sinners but we're told to give all diligence all diligence to go through this list so number one I believe focus on specific goals so focus on specific goals. So turn to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3 and verse 13. Philippians 3.13 Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching unto, unto those things which are before. I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Let us therefore, as many as be perfect, be thus minded. And if anything ye be otherwise minded, God shall reveal even this unto you. Okay, so what are are your goals? Your goals, maybe it's to read the Bible cover to cover in X amount of time. Or maybe it's to give up a particular addiction or sin. Set definite goals. Set that goal. Verse 13 there says says to reach forth toward your goals. He's saying here, he's saying reaching forth unto those things which are before. Okay, verse 14 and 15 says to be single-minded or focused on your goals. He says that be thus minded. If anything you be otherwise minded, God shall reveal this unto you. He's pressed toward the mark for the, for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Now some people could picture their goal, maybe write it down, remind themselves 
each day. And I think you should keep that. And, and like I said, it, there are goals. There are things that you're finding, oh, with self-control, set a goal for that. Try and achieve that. Don't, oh, never mind, I just can't get over this one thing. No, set a goal, work on it. And you'll see people do that in, in sports and in many other vocations where they want to achieve something. They'll set that goal and they'll focus on that goal. I mean, you, if you talk to, to champions in, in many different, different sporting disciplines, they will actually focus on that prize. They'll focus on that winning. They, they, they will start imagining themselves being up there with their hand lifted up, the champion of whatever it is. And, people, and, and for many people, that will work for them because it's, I'm not going to fail. This is what I'm going to achieve. Focus on, but focus on that in your, in your walk with God. Focus on those individual things, those individual hurdles that you need to get, get over, those, those individual tests of your self-control. Uh, turn to Philippians, uh, so in Philippians, so turn to verse, uh, chapter 4, verse 8. He says here in, in chapter 4, verse 8, Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things. So if your goals are true, honest, just, pure, lovely, of good report, focus on them. Focus on your good. Nothing wrong with that, is there? Focus on the good things. Focus on where you want to be. Focus on, on, on the things that... You, the, the place you want to be after that, that whether it be healthier, less sinful in certain ways, whatever it is, focus on those things. Um, John 4, turn to John 4, sorry. So, Gospel of John, chapter 4, and verse 31. We see a great example of Jesus doing this here, where it says, In the meanwhile his disciples prayed him, saying, Master, eat. But he said unto them, I have meat to eat that ye know not of. Therefore said the disciples one to another, Have any man brought him all to eat? Jesus saith unto them, My meat is to do the will of him that sent me, and to finish his work. So Jesus is focused on finishing his work to the point where he didn't even need to eat with them. He's got a goal there. His goal obviously was to go and get the gospel out to, to all the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And he, he's out there just, just, just preaching the gospel. He's saying, and he goes on there to talk about that afterwards. But... Um, but for us, focus on it. Get a goal, focus on it, hit them one by one. Get over those, those hurdles, those problems where you can't, you, you're just finding that self-control you can't deal with. So number one, number one there, sorry, was, was to focus on specific goals. Number two is to have accountability. So have accountability. Turn to Proverbs 15. Proverbs chapter 15. And verse 3, Proverbs 15, 3 says, The eyes of the Lord are in every place, beholding the evil and the good. Okay, remind yourself regularly that God is watching everything. I think it's easy to forget that sometimes, isn't it? Remind yourself, have it in your mind that everything you do, I mean, let alone everything you think, but everything you do, God is watching isn't he? He's watching everything you do. Have some accountability for that. God is watching everything you do. But if that's not enough, turn to Hebrews chapter 12. Because sadly that isn't enough for many people. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 1. Hebrews 12, 1. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, 
looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Now, verse 2 is obviously a great example of Jesus' focus on, on his goal. But verse 1 there is showing that we are accountable to others, aren't we? We are accountable to others. And, and that's something you can picture. You could think, look, I've got a lot of people watching me. Whether or not you believe there are people in heaven watching, some people have different beliefs on that, or whether or not it's just your, 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 your immediate family, your church family, whatever you are. You are encompassed by a great cloud of witnesses. But if picturing that isn't enough, tell your spouse, tell your parents, your friends, your family about your goal. Not to show off. Hey, by the way, I'm going to be reading the Bible for the 20th time <laughs> this week. And, uh, you know, I just thought I'd let you know, just so I'm accountable. No, not to show off. But, but if there's something you need to get over, share it. Share it with, with someone so you have some accountability. Because... I mean, there's, I know Brother John here is, and I was to, to some degree, a lot of people that get a personal trainer or something, a trainer of some, de, of some point like that, basically the, one, the, the number one reason is for accountability, and they admit that. A lot, there's a lot of people, you, you'd be surprised, because you think when you work in these gyms and stuff, you're looking at these guys and you're thinking, all these people are really wealthy. They've just got all this money to get this personal trainer. A lot of the time, they're not. A lot of the time, they're actually scraping together the money because they know that if they don't have that accountability to someone where they've booked in a time and they're going to be there waiting for them, they know they won't turn up. They know they won't turn up and do the exercise. They won't do the training. It's that accountability of someone who knows what their goal is, what their target is, and that they, they have someone to answer to. Okay, having someone, And obviously, that should be God. But for many, if that's not enough for you, Tell someone, right, this, I'm going to give up this, or I'm going to start doing this, or this is what I'm going to do. Use that. Use that to your benefit. Okay, so improving your self-control. Number three on improving your self-control is to remember the cost of failure. Remember the cost of failure. So turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Okay, 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And this is speaking of the Lord's Supper. We're going to be covering that next week. But from, from verse 29, he says, For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily, eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this cause, many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. For if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord, that we should not be condemned with the world. Wherefore, my brethren, when you come together to eat, tarry one for another. And if any man hunger, let him eat at home. That ye come not together unto condemnation, and the rest will I set in order when I come. Now I'm sure that this part of the letter to the Corinthians, and there's a lot of, there's a lot of stuff as we've been going through in 1 Corinthians and a lot of chastisement, but I think this part would have put them off treating the Lord's Supper as some sort of feed up, don't you think? I think it would have put them off just treating it as some sort of big feast, and it would have been put them off just coming to the Lord's Supper with all this, you know, just clear problems and issues and open sin and everything else. So God was punishing them, wasn't he? With, he says here, weakness, sickness, and death. And I think having, having an eye on that, like I said there, having, having a, a reminder of the cost of failure is, is, is such a benefit to us. That's why chastisement is there, isn't it? Chastisement and other repercussions of failure should help us stay on track, shouldn't they? And that's the idea of chastisement. But it's so common for Christians to just ignore that part and to just 
oh, I'm being tested by the devil, I'm being tested by the devil, I'm being, you know, it's the devil doing this and that. And, and, you know, sometimes the devil can be used to chastisement, I believe. But, but I, I do believe when things happen in life, you should first be trying to look and pray and, and seek God and, and, and think the first thing you should be thinking, am I being chastised? Because God says he'll do it, doesn't he? He's a loving father. He said, he, he said as a loving father, he will chastise us. So why, why do we, many people never think they're being chastised? But we know we're not perfect. And we want to be aware of the chastisement. And if it's sin, be sure that God does chastise. Look at Hebrews 12, 11. I know many of us read, you know, part maybe Hebrews 12, 5, when we're soul winning. We read it. Do we really think about it ourselves? Hebrews 12:11 says, "Now no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby." Okay, so it should yield, shouldn't it, the peaceable fruit of righteousness? So when we're being chastised, when and and the thought of the chastisement, that should be something which which should encourage us to to get right. It should encourage us to improve our self-control. It should encourage us to be self-controlled when we know there that we're going to be getting punished for it. So a good thing to have in your mind that if it's not a specific sin, and it's sometimes it's not this, it's necessarily a specific sin that we're trying to work on. Just remind yourselves of the negatives of failure anyway. Because there are negatives, aren't there, to, to all these things that we want to improve, to lack of self-control. It could be the impression of your kids. It could be knowing that your kids are watching you just indulging and not controlling the flesh, having no self-control, and knowing that you're likely to form that in your child. Or maybe, maybe you don't have kids. Maybe it's, it's people around you. Maybe it's your church. Maybe it's just that you're not doing as much for God because of that lack of self-control with things. Um, remind yourselves of the negatives of failure. Okay, so improve your self-control. Number four. Number four is aim for rewards. Aim for rewards. So turn to 1 Corinthians 2 now. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. The idea of this sermon is because it's, you know, often, you know, the preacher will just be on sin and this is sin and that is sin. But the idea is to hopefully give you some ways that I believe can help you with, with this, which is a big problem, isn't it? Self-control is a, is a hard thing. I, I think in this culture as well, may, maybe, I don't want to blame it on the culture, we all have sinful flesh and we all choose to do things, but, but I, think, I think there probably is more of an encouragement to just live life, enjoy it, do what you like, you know, if it feels good, do it. No, we need self-control in life. And number four, aim for rewards. So we're in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 9. It says here, 1 Corinthians 2, 9, But as it is written, I have not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. Okay, now that is one of many promises in the Bible about rewards, isn't it? One of many promises about rewards. And look, it says there, it says, it says, I have not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. We don't even know. He hasn't even, we don't even know some of the many things that God has prepared for us. And God constantly is talking about the rewards in life. Crowns and rewards in heaven as well as blessings on earth. And I'm not talking about, you know, the, the, the Pentecostal type thing, but there are blessings on earth. Um, and God tells us about the rewards for a reason, doesn't he? Because there are many, many verses. He hasn't just put them there, just, hey, you know, it's going to be great. He, he, he's telling us about rewards because rewards should inspire us. They should inspire us to go on to good things, shouldn't they? 
they should inspire us to be self-controlled because the rewards aren't just for going out soul winning and getting people saved okay there are rewards for every part of the christian life and and like animals and kids what do we do i mean people some people here i'm sure have trained an ant maybe trained a dog and and okay we're not dogs but we do the same with kids don't we we, we offer rewards and we offer chastisement and that's exactly how god deals with us as well but we need to want the rewards. Sometimes it can be hard because we do live a life of faith. So it's not that, right, today I, I, I got over a certain goal and tomorrow suddenly I've got, you know, some, something great's happened and, and suddenly I've, you know, the, I've, a new car just, just turned up at my house or whatever it is that, you know, you feel is going to be a blessing in life. Um, it doesn't work like that. Sometimes it can be a lot, lot later and, and in the same way, in the same way that the, the rewards in heaven, it can feel like it's a long way off sometimes, can't it? But maybe remind yourself, remind yourself of the rewards, keep reminding yourself of that, and it might help you with your self-control. Um, use that incentive to improve your self-control. And turn to Galatians 6, and verse 9. The Bible says, Galatians 6, 9. And let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. So don't give up. Don't give up. You will reap if you keep the self-control. Don't give up. Keep the self-discipline. Keep that temperance. Keep that self-control. Aim for the rewards. Keep them on your mind. Okay, that was number four. Aim for rewards. Right. Number five in improving your self-control. Okay, this is a big one, I think, is avoid obvious temptations avoid the obvious temptations okay it's not just oh well you know I, I i need to have these things in front of me to prove my self-control no i believe it's step by step you're never going to improve your self-control if you just constantly just got all the temptations around you the whole time things that you can control turn to proverbs 22 proverbs chapter 22 and by the way this is identical in proverbs 27 and I think when you got, got it written twice, there's good reason for it. Proverbs 22 and verse 3 says, 22.3, A prudent man foreseeth the evil and hideth himself, but the simple pass on and are punished. Okay, prudent is cautious, careful of consequences. Like the diligence, really, that 2 Peter 1.5 commanded. Okay, so if you're cautious, careful of consequences, if you actually care about that, you care about your sin. You care about your self-control. It says here that the prudent man foreseeth the evil. You should look for where the problems are going to come from and hideth himself. Don't be simple and just pass on and a punish. Okay, we need to be aware of the risks ahead. That's part of self-control. Uh, you know, a little uh, a saying some people say is out of sight, out of mind. You might have heard that before, out of sight, out of mind. So if eating junk food is a problem, don't have it in the house. If it's a problem, don't have it in the house. Don't buy it and think, oh, well, I'll just have the odd thing. If, you just, if you're one of them people that, you know, goes to have a biscuit and next thing you know, the whole packet's gone in a minute. <laughs> a lot of people are like that, aren't they? Don't get the packet in the first place. Like, why have it in the house, you know? Um, if your phone is likely to distract you during Bible time, switch it off. Oh, well, I'll just keep it on. Just, just switch it off. Or, you know, maybe evening, like we talked about before, is a sinful time for you. So you just can't avoid in the evening partaking in sinful things. Well, get up earlier and go to bed earlier. Get up earlier. Get up early when it's not a problem. And if you get up early, you're going to be tired earlier, aren't you? Go to bed earlier. Um, now turn to Psalm 101. 
Okay, Psalm 101. And I, I mean, this psalm's got so much about this in it, and we're just going to read the psalm. Okay, Psalm 101. And from verse 1. <clears throat> I will sing of mercy and judgment. Unto thee, O Lord, will I sing. I will behave myself wisely in a perfect way. Oh, when wilt thou come unto me? I will walk within my house with a perfect heart. I will set no wicked thing before mine eyes. I hate the work of them that turn aside. It shall not cleave to me. So no wicked thing. Okay, no wicked thing. He doesn't want it in front of his eyes. The self-control is so much easier when it's not in your face, isn't it? It's so much easier when it's not in your face. So maybe it's the self-control not to lust after the opposite sex. Okay? Delete your scantily clad worldly friends on social media. Just delete them. Or unfollow them if you're worried about being rude at someone you really think that you're going to try and reach with the gospel. Or avoid the trip to the beach at peak time when it's full of half-naked bathers. Oh, you're one of those, you know, prudy Christians. No, we're trying to be sensible. We shouldn't be setting wicked things before, before our eyes. We know that it's wicked, don't we? Is it not wicked to walk around half-dressed? Is, is, not, is not flaunt your nakedness wickedness? So why do we then think it's okay to go and hang around at swimming pools and, and beaches with a load of, load of people in, dressed in next to nothing? Men in, you know, I don't want to give you the images, but wife fronts and women in, in bikinis and the rest of it. And why, why is that then okay? Why would you do that? Especially, especially when it's something that maybe does tempt you. Okay, just, just get it out. Get it, don't set it before your eyes. And that's the same on stuff you watch, because sometimes, you know, you'll, you'll try and scroll through YouTube for a video or something, and, and all the junk's coming up, or if you're on Facebook or whatever else it is, Instagram, so much stuff, isn't it? It's hard enough out in the world with that, isn't it? It's hard enough in the world and, and in certain workplaces and, and everything else, let alone you don't need it on your phone as well, do you? Because for many pe people, that is an issue. That's a problem. Don't set it before your eyes. It says here in verse 4, Froward heart shall depart from me, I will not know a wicked person. Whoso privily slandereth his neighbour, him will I cut off. Him that hath an high look and a proud heart will not I suffer. So avoid bad influences too. Avoid bad influences. So is, what's rule one? Rule one if you're quitting an addiction. What's the first thing that anyone would tell you is to avoid people who are doing the same addiction, surely? No. And it's funny how they flock together instead. But if you really want to stop, whatever it is, if you want to stop drinking, are you just going to go and hang out with your friends down the pub anyway? No, I've got, yeah, I'll be fine. No, if, you, if it's a problem for you, you need to cut them out. Okay, now it might not be forever. And, it might, and, and, and with drinking it should be. But with other things, you want to quit smoking. Say you want to quit smoking. Why then spend all your time with smokers? Are you really going to be able to do it? I quit smoking before I couldn't be around a smoker. Because when I was, it's so hard. And in the same way, with many other things, many other sins, and I'm not just talking about addictions as well, but many other sins, if you're around people that have a problem with it, how on earth are you going to stop that? And I'm not trying to say, right, you've got to, that's it. If half your friends do something, cut them all out of your life. But you need to you, be honest to them. Just say, look, I can't, I, I've, I'd find that too hard. Because it does, it just makes it a little bit more acceptable, doesn't it? With many sins, with many sins. If there's someone that's openly sinful in a certain way, something you want to get rid of, you have problem with self-control in that sin, then you need to separate. You need to have that time apart from them and, and hopefully then try and encourage them as well. If they want your friendship, then hopefully they would maybe do the same thing because a lot of these things are, are, 
you know, they're poison and, and sin just is such a downward slope, isn't it? What about, what about you trying to stop gossiping? Because gossip always sounds better, and I know I talked about this at length last week, but it always sounds better with other gossips. Should you then just be hanging around with people that are gossiping? You're just going to get drawn back into it, aren't you? You will get drawn back into it. What about pride? Maybe pride's your issue. Maybe you just don't have that self-control to not lift yourself up, to not puff yourself up, to not try and show off to others, to not try and be that, that, that big person whatever, in whatever way. Why hang around with other prideful people then? Why do that? Because you're not going to be able to cut it out, are you? So it's something that, for me, you know, David's making it clear there. He's saying, he's saying, whoso privily slandereth his neighbour, him will I cut off. Him that hath an high look and a proud heart will not suffer. Now, obviously, for the other reasons as well, that they're, they're a problem in, in many ways. Okay, verse 6, he says, Mine eyes shall be upon the faithful of the land, that they may dwell with me. He that walketh in a perfect way, he shall serve me. So get around people that encourage your self-control. If you have a problem with self-control, try and get around people that have... That, that can handle it, that have self-control. Surely that's important, isn't it? That's what, that's what we should, we should try and surround ourselves. And we as a church, that's how we want to be. And that will encourage others in the church as well, to try and get, get on top of these things. Verse 7 says, He that worketh deceit shall not dwell within my house. He that telleth lies shall not tarry in my sight. Get away from the dishonest as well. For some people, that's a problem, isn't it? Just those little lies, lying about this, lying about that. If you're spending all your time with dishonest people, it just rubs off, doesn't it? You're more likely and it's more excusable. Verse 8 says, I will early destroy all the wicked of the land and I may cut off all wicked doers from the city of the Lord. Okay, and, and obviously he goes, he goes hard at the end there, doesn't he? But First Peter 2.11 says, Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lust which war against the soul. That means cut them out. Cut them out. That's not, oh, well, you know, you know I'm, just, I'm just a bit of a sinful Christian. Yeah, well, I'm not perfect. No one's perfect. No, we're not, but we should be striving for the mastery, shouldn't we? We should be giving all diligence, not just, oh, well, that's just me. No, we should be working every day, all diligence. That's hard work, isn't it? That's hard work. And if we can't get over the self-control, we've got no chance to work on the patience, do we? We have no chance to work on the patience, the godliness. How can we do that if we don't have the self-control? And like I said, if you're around people, like it, it could be really hard. Now, you might find, look, I'm fine with that. That's, that's good. And then try and encourage those people as well. But if it's a problem for you, you need, you need to be around, or you need to stop being around people who are partaking sins that you need to get out of your life. Issues, addictions, whatever it is. Okay, improving your self-control. Number six, make a routine. Make a routine. Routines are good. Um, now, I'm not saying you have to bind your whole life by routine every day but turn to Psalm 5 Psalm 5 and verse 3 Psalm 5.3 says my voice shalt thou hear in the morning O Lord in the morning will I direct my prayer unto thee and will look up now that's a good way to start the day isn't it with prayer and acknowledgement of God yeah Okay, what a great way to start the day. Doesn't it make your days different? Any of you who do that and then you have that day, have those days where you don't, where you don't acknowledge God, you haven't managed to get around to praying, reading your Bible in the morning. It's a different day, isn't it? It is a different day. Um, Daniel prayed three times a day, didn't he? That was his way. That's what he did three times a day. That's actually how they caught him out, wasn't it? But in Psalm 1, it says that the blessed man meditates in the law day and night. Yeah, day and night he's meditating in the law. Um, turn to Deuteronomy 11, though. 
Deuteronomy chapter 11. Deuteronomy chapter 11 and verse 18. Okay, therefore shall ye lay up these my words in your heart and in your soul and bind them for a sign upon your hands that they may be as frontlets between your eyes. And ye shall teach them your children, speak ye them, when thou sittest in thine house, when thou walkest by the way, when thou liest down and when thou risest up. Now, that is a strong family Bible study routine, that, isn't it? Wow, I mean, look at that. That's basically speaking of them when you're sitting in your house, when you're walking outside of the house, when you're lying down, and when you're rising up. And you're not just reading, you're talking about it there. That looks like a, a good Bible study there, and that's a pretty strong routine. But when you're doing that, when you have a set routine, and this is when I'm doing this, this is when I do that, when you start the day well, it's so much easier to maintain it, isn't it? And I think that you start with that, you'll keep that routine. So especially for things like Bible study, prayer, um, church life, whatever, that's your routine, that's when you do it, that's the time you do it, it's so much easier to stick to when it's set in stone. Now that could be hard, I know, for shift workers and others, but it can still work the same way. If you work, if you're a shift worker and you work nights, whatever it is, an hour before work is when I read my Bible for half hour, whatever it is, get just get get some some routine in there. Get it set in stone. Write it down if you need to. And it's so much easier to keep that control then when you have a routine. I've always been a great fan of routine for things like that, for when you're trying to maintain something. Um, and, and I find it harder to pull away when it's set in stone, a routine, rather than, oh, well, I'll try and do it at this, or I'll, I'll do that at this, you know, I'll try and fit this in. It just doesn't happen, does it? It doesn't happen. Um, okay, the virtuous woman in Proverbs 31, she rises, she rises early in the morning, doesn't she? It says in 31.15, you don't have to turn there, but it says she riseth also while it is yet night and giveth meat to her household and a portion to her, to her maidens. So she, she's, that, that's not just she does it now and again, that's when she rises. She has a routine of rising, obviously when it's still dark, to get on with her day. And, and that's, that's an example to all, isn't it, that lady? And, and yeah, I, I do believe a good healthy routine will really help with self-control as well. Um, so like I said, if you could just take one of these, if you take all of them, great. If there's some you're not sure if it will work for you, but try and take something from this as well. Um, right, improve your self-control. Number seven, number seven. And this is something which has really helped me with things is to use constant prayer. Constant prayer. Turn to Romans 12. Romans 12 and verse 12 says, Rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing instant in prayer. Okay, to continuing gives you a picture of constant prayer, doesn't it? And instant is urgently, so constant, urgent prayer. And, you know, famous verse, 1 Thessalonians 5.17 says to pray without ceasing, doesn't it? And yeah, okay, maybe that would be a tall order if it was literally to live life in a non-stop prayer. Um, but pray constantly for self-control throughout the day. Just, just be in prayer all the time. I'll pray, like, I'll pray in the middle of conversations, and I'm sure some of you do maybe when you're soul winning and stuff. A little prayer's in my head to guide me with certain things, awkward situations, just to guide you. Just pray, pray, pray. It doesn't have to be, right, you know, now I'm kneeling down and making a big... Yeah, do, do some, some good, proper, structured prayer as well. But, but little prayers, little prayers. Pray without ceasing. 
continuing instant in prayer. Pray when you feel that temptation coming. Pray when you feel that temptation coming to, to when the self-control, you can just feel that starting to go a little bit. Pray then. Uh, turn to John 15. And from verse 7, John 15 and verse 7. If ye abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall ask what ye will and it shall be done unto you. Herein is my Father glorified that ye bear much fruit, so shall ye be my, my disciples. As the Father hath loved me, so have I loved you. Continue ye in my love. If ye keep my commandments, ye shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments, and abide in his love. So basically, pray before you're already sinning, while you're abiding in him, ask what you will and it should be done unto you, yeah? So ask, basically, ask for self-control, ask for that help with problems with your self-control before it's already too late, before it's too late. If you start to feel that anger coming on, maybe it's anger, road rage, whatever it is, pray in your head, pray for help with it. Pray before you're now outside the, the will of God. Yeah, I know we pray a lot, but when, you're, when you know you can feel that self-control being, being lost, that's a good time to, to pray before you're, you're now, it's already, it's a problem, then it starts to put that block there, doesn't it? It's hard then to pray, you're feeling bad, you feel like there's that block between you and God. Pray, pray before, pray when you're feeling it, pray when things are going well as well. Pray for help just to maintain it. Pray for self-control. Um, Okay, so improving your self-control was, number one, focus on specific goals. Number two, have accountability. Number three was remember the cost of failure. Number four, aim for rewards. Number five, avoid obvious temptations. Number six was make a routine. And number seven was use constant prayer. Okay, back to 2 Peter 1 then. Okay, back to 2 Peter chapter 1. And we saw this list from verse 5. It said, And beside this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, and to patience godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness charity. Okay. Four. Look at verse 8. For if these things be in you and abound... They make you that ye shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So we need all these things in abundance to be really fruitful. Okay? We do. We, if we have these things in abundance, if they abound in us, then, then we shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Like I said, we're a soul-winning church here. It's not just a soul-winning, is it? And, and, you know, it's easy to, to, to fall again. It's easy to go back downhill. It's easy for problems to arise. It's easy to be a bad church member. It's easy to, to fail in many ways, which, which soul-winning, like we said before, it doesn't cover the multitude of sins. And it can become, that you eventually become unfruitful in soul-winning as well in the future if we can't get that self-control sorted. Um, Verse 9 says, But he that lacketh these things is blind, and cannot see afar off, and hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. So otherwise we're blind. A blind Christian, is that, is that a fully effective Christian? It's not, is it? That's what it says there. It says, otherwise we're blind. And obviously it's not just talking about the self-control, but self-control is right in the middle of there. A blind Christian, not fully effective, because there are many ways we could be effective as a Christian. Verse 10 says, Wherefore the rather, brethren, 
Give diligence to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, you shall never fall. So again, that diligence, wasn't it? The diligence that we achieve those good works for God. Now, the calling and election is unto glory and virtue. Look at verse 3 there. It says, According as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue. Because this is one of them verses where the Calvinists love to take out of context, don't they? And they start talking about your calling and election. See, you're called and elected. No, it's, it's talking about your calling and election is unto glory and virtue. Okay, remember Ephesians 2.10, just after, for by grace you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it's a gift of God, not of works as any man should boast. Then verse 10 says, for we are his workmanship, creating Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them what he wants us to do he's ordained that we should walk in them we should walk in good work sadly we don't all do that do we in fact sadly many don't but it's a things plural we've just seen seen there in verse 10 of second peter 1 it's a things plural that we need to do to not fall for if you do these things you shall never fall okay and we need to get through that whole list don't we to do those things so that we don't fall um in in our calling and election towards glory and virtue. Okay, um, he says in verse 11, for so an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ. So here, you know, work salvationists. Oh, look, you've got to do all these things to get into heaven. Well, no, because we already had the faith, didn't we? We know it's, it's, it's by grace through faith, yeah, not of yourselves. So what's it talking about here? Well, the key, key word here is abundantly. So plentifully, overflowing. It won't just be an entrance. It'll be an entrance basically with all the bells and whistles. That's it. I want to go to heaven. I want to go to heaven first class, yeah? I want to go to heaven. I want to be, be going in there with a the, with the red carpet rolled out. I'm not saying I'm, I'm there, but that's my aim. That's where I want to get to. I don't just want to be going to heaven. I want, to be going to, I want that entrance to be abundantly. Okay, and if you want that first class heaven experience, yeah, I'm selling it now. Anyone wants, to, anyone wants that first class heaven experience? You need to tithe more. No, no, you, 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 you need to work your way through the list, don't you? You need to work your way through the list. And we can't just stop at one point, oh, well, that's me. No, work, give all diligence, all diligence. We need to work hard. And if some of these things help you, great. Because Proverbs 25, 28 says, He that hath no rule over his own spirit is like a city that is broken down and without walls. That is a useless city, isn't it? A city broken down and without walls. And obviously it's talking about defences really there, isn't it? Um, and you don't, want to be, you don't want to be one of those cities. Um, on that, let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. Thank you, um, thank you for that clear structure there in, in, in 2 Peter chapter 1. And, and thank you that you give us everything we need for that. For that. And, and, but, but help us to, to give that due diligence, that, that giving all diligence to, to achieve what you want us to achieve. And help us to, to focus on that. Help us to focus on the rewards. Help us to focus on our goals. Help us to, to get in good habits. Help us to improve our self-control. And those of us that find that hard, help us to, to please take things from this sermon, not just to kind of close our ears and... And just think, oh, well, you know, that's that. And, and, and bristle our backs or anything. Help us to actually think, yeah, your, your word's given us a lot of guidance, a lot of help for this. Please help us to, to apply it to our lives. And help us to have a great, great day now. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.